everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's General Secretary and the host of this show. The Barefoot Nurse is one of Australia's largest nursing Facebook pages with over 70,000 followers. Personally, I'm a massive fan of the page's comedic value and frank discussions about the lives of nurses and midwives, as I'm sure many of you already are too. Today, I'm so glad to be joined by the man behind the Bitmoji, Matt Tyson. Matt's a registered nurse working in outpatient services at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne. He started his Facebook page as a means of sharing his journey of turning his career into a lifestyle. Uh, this has evolved into a space for nurses and midwives to share, and uh, they share their professional and personal stories as well. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been great to be invited. It's wonderful having you. So tell me, uh, what got you into nursing in the first place? Uh, so I first looked at nursing back when I left uh, year, well, started year 11 and decided that it wasn't for me at that time. So I went into a different pathway and joined the army instead. Um, and then I had a gap in my life later on and I was too sick to go to work, but too well to sit at home. Um, and my treating doctor suggested, had I thought about doing some more study and I decided that, yeah, revisit. My brother had suggested I become a paramedic, so that ruled that out. Um, so I decided to revisit nursing. And he was a doctor, so that ruled out medicine as well. So, so that left nursing. So, yeah, I went back to nursing and um, I discovered that I really enjoyed it. It was quite challenging, but, yeah, it's been a good move. So that's what it brought me. Through, um, you were too sick to go to work but too well to stay home. What was happening at that point in your life? Yeah, so um, it turns out I had been living with depression um, anxiety and paranoia for 10 years and undiagnosed. I had recently been diagnosed with those illnesses. Um, and I had spiraled quite badly, I suppose, in the pre, pre, pre that. Um, so I had taken off, I quit my job, I had left my marriage. Um, I had sort of become very isolated in, in the home I was living in, in the house I was living in. And um, was starting to get treatment. I was really lucky that my ex-wife was very supportive. My family was very supportive. I had great friends around me who kept trying to help. Um, I had a really dark place where I ended up in the cells for one night. And luckily, even with that worked out okay, the police officers involved that night were friends of mine and, um, and they offered to help as well. So between everybody, they managed me to, they got me to go and get some help. And I, I lucked into um, getting hold of a really good psychiatrist quite early on uh, and was on some quite heavy medication to start with. And then eventually I, I had a, also had a great GP who sort of coordinated all and I got a great psychologist on board. And eventually we started replacing the medications I was on with some therapy, um, especially around mindfulness. That was probably the main one that I found most useful and also some thinking about catastrophizing, which also helped me a lot. Mm. Um, to the point where I was eventually able to give up all medication, and uh, but I still practice mindfulness every day. I still a, it's still definitely a condition I live with. Uh, I don't think it will ever be cured for me, so it's always something I'm mindful about. Um, but what I have got now is the skills to recognise the danger signals and to recognise when I'm getting worse. But yeah, so that was it. So yeah, I had this period where I just, the doctor thought sitting around the house was was not a great idea. Um, and uh, and so yeah, university it was. 
So the reason I touch on that is because I think there's this kind of theme that kind of comes through the work you do now. And the work you do now is what I really want to dig into. Um, I spotted you on Facebook, I don't know, maybe 12 months ago, I guess. And I've been quietly lurking in the realms of Facebook, uh, watching you grow your page as the barefoot nurse. And I think you're doing something really like unique and pretty remarkable, frankly. So talk me through how you started as a nurse and decided you were going to kind of kick off this big social media thing. It was never meant to be a big social media thing. I think that's where to start with. It was, uh, I was, um, I was working as a rural nurse uh, on, and I had decided that I wanted to get some more experience. So I transferred, decided to go to a bigger hospital, but the goal was only ever to be at that hospital for two years and then another year working in, with paediatrics and then go back to rural again. Um, and in that period, the, decide, the choice was to, I had lots of friends that were doing similar ideas and they, a lot of FIFO works, so they were flying into areas working, then flying out again. But I had a couple of friends, a couple of doctor friends who had, one had brought a yacht and sailed from job to job. Wow. Uh, and another had brought a van and was traveling from job to job. And I thought, that actually sounds like a really cool lifestyle, but they still had a home base. So my idea was to just make the van the home. And people always complain when they go to rural locations. What they usually complain about is the accommodation. And so I thought, and not so much the accommodation, but how the previous nurses have left the accommodation. But really tidy at work, some of us, but not so tidy where we live. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, well, if I take my own accommodation with me, the only person I have to blame for it if it's messy is me. So, <laughs> yeah, that was the idea, is to buy a van um, to to get ready and then just go from job to job um, and make sure that, and by traveling by road, you sort of had that break in between. So you managed to mess that lifestyle with and working. Out, you know, Australia as you go, was that kind of- Yeah, process? absolutely, absolutely. And it's still definitely on the cards of a plan. It's just been on the sidetrack for the more COVID kind of everything on sidetrack. But yeah, I, well, unfortunately I got to the big hospital um, so I got into a position that was definitely not part of my career plan. It was definitely not on my radar at all of what to do as a nurse. Hadn't even thought about it. And I really enjoy the people I work with. And every year I think this will be the last year. And every year I just I say, oh, I see what the next lot of docs I get to work with are like. And yeah, so far it's kept me going. <laughs> and so you kicked off the page as just a way to sort of document some of that regional work. Yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be about the regional work was supposed to be about buying a van. So if you look back at the really early posts, it's like going to caravan and camping shows and looking at different models of um, motorhomes versus caravans. Um, and that's where it started. And even fundraising for that. So, you know, because, um, you know, selling off some stuff to try and, you know, get some coin together to buy the van and stuff. So that's where it started. And then, yeah, and then it just morphed. So as, as COVID came, different things came up and I realised that there was a need to connect that perhaps we weren't all getting. And I and I thought, well, maybe I can, I can't do much, but maybe I can make a difference just by being that person that gives a hopefully a frank and honest account of nursing of what the challenges we face are and naming up a few things. And by that taking away the taboos and the and the barriers we have about discussing things and we feel that we can't talk about this and we can't speak up about this and there's a whole lot of reasons for that some of it's institutionalized because of where we came from um some of it is is because um it's done on purpose by employers some of it is just 
the barriers we put into our own minds, I suppose. So there's you know lots of different reasons why why nurses feel they can't speak up. Um, but I first, but I've always sort of been aware of that. One of my first jobs when I left college, um, university after training as a nurse was working for the A and M. And I uh, very quickly there was some industrial action in Tassie at the time. And I was heavily involved in that, and it was really hard to get nurses to speak up and stand up for themselves. Um, to the point that as a third year nursing student, I went attended a meeting and the ward nurses felt that they couldn't um, speak up. And so they, and I actually ended up speaking up on their behalf because I figured I'm about to graduate. I'm not actually a nurse. I'm not really a student anymore. I'm in this in-between land. And like, what are they going to do to me? You know, they can't take away birthday sort of thing. So, yeah, and that's, I guess, was my first experience that there was this barrier about what we could say and what we couldn't say. And, how inadvertently or how intentionally that's used against us sometimes. And how we use it against ourselves sometimes, I think, too. Oh, you know, we're a very rule-following yeah. profession. And so I think we make it, uh, you know, it's hard. It's really hard for nurses and midwives to speak out. Um, but I think that's why, you know, the platform that you've created has really resonated um, with people like myself and many others um, because people do share and I find it really interesting, the types of things that you share, I have to say, because I feel like there's really um, no taboo topics. So, you know, back to what you were talking about in terms of your own personal health, uh, you call out a lot of mental health um, kind of programs and policy. You aren't afraid to tackle politicians and political position. Uh, you know, you certainly tackle the issues that we see in nursing. You call out unions from time to time. Uh, you know, I'd say sometimes even some of your content's a bit controversial, but you really generate a space where people can have a conversation and maybe learn something. I think if you're going, there's always, early on in this, I discovered almost everything I write will offend somebody. <laughs> um, and and I don't, I do worry about it. I don't, I worry about it and I take it on board, but I don't obsess about it. Yeah, um, that sounds like a good kind of way to treat it, right? Yeah, yeah, because you can't, you can't. We're talking about nurses from all around the world. You've got, you know, we're all taught about cultural differences. So there's always going to be cultural differences. There's going to be ideal differences. I truly believe that this idea that there's no such thing as reality because we all have our own way we interpret reality is kind of true too. So even if I talked about, I don't know, the sky is blue, we could then have an argument about whether blue even exists as a colour. So, 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 yeah, I think, yeah, and why should there be taboos like this? I mean, yes, there are lines. Patient confidentiality for me is definitely a line. I'm really mindful about that. I would never post something that breaches that or yeah. I thought would even. And there's, there's, there are stories I would love to tell, but because I've nursed in small communities, I don't feel comfortable telling that because if I told that story, people know me, even though I go under a pseudonym. Um, but... But there would be enough people because they're small communities. There'd be someone that goes, "Oh, I know who he's talking about, or I know what he's talking about." So I don't touch those. And that for me is the line. I don't talk much about my current employer, out of respect for them, and because my current employer is a good employer, I believe overall. So I, I'm happy with with where I am. But but I do. I also take on board and post stories that other people come to me that they don't want to say. So someone might come to me and say, "This has happened where I work." But I want to remain anonymous. So mm -hmm. I'll wear that. I'll say, okay, well, this is the story. And mm -hmm. if people assume that that's actually my story, or so be it. But, mm -hmm. you know, because it's, I, I understand that people are fearful about, about speaking about some things. And you would too, being involved in, in unions. 
um, it's probably one of the biggest challenges unions face is getting nurses to feel that they can name up things because they're worried about repercussions. Mm. And so obviously, you know, nurses and midwives do reach out to you. Uh, and, you know, talk to me about some of the things they do reach out about and what impact your platform has on their life. So the, the most common thing is go, I had a really crap day today and I really, I really enjoyed reading that post. And so that's an achievement. So that's, that's all I aim for. Like if you're having a crap day and you can come to Barefoot Nurse and you can laugh or you can, even if I sidetrack you by writing something stupid that you violently disagree with, so you send me this, you write this tirade about it, then okay, that's still sidetracking you. And it's, if you're thinking about something else other than what happened at work that day. I think um, I saw a few of them about gender pay gaps recently. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all right. I mean, I don't, people can disagree. I draw, you know, some, there are people I've blocked, um, which is sad. I hate blocking people. And recently I had to turn off comments for the first time ever on a post. And I was really disappointed about that. But I, I try not to. I really think that people should have their say. I do. It is my platform at the end of the day, though. And I do choose what comments I'm associated with. So if someone decides to, especially if they're going to be anti-nursing or anti-nurse, or they're going to put down nurses, then I'm going to, that's not going to stay. Yeah. Um, and that's probably another line of sign because the, the whole idea is to lift nurses up. Um, but yeah, if I can, if someone, the most other common message I get is bullying, sadly. Uh, yeah. I don't know that we're ever going to fix bullying and nursing, certainly not in my lifetime. Um, We've got to find a way through it, don't we? We do. And I think it's culture. And I think it takes a, lot, a long time to change culture. So we have to accept that it won't happen overnight. Um, and of course, the other thing at the moment is like from New South Wales, we're getting a lot of stuff about what's happening up there as far as um, how they've been thrown under the bus. And that, that is probably the best way to describe what's happening in New South Wales. It's, it's for the sake of every, everyone else, nursing and doctors and, and paramedics have been thrown under the bus, healthcare workers in general, not to forget the hospitality workers and admin staff and all those wonderful people. But um, yeah, in New South Wales, it really has been an example of uh, the economy is going to come first and health can just pick up the pieces. And what I've been really disappointed with from New South Wales is that senior management doesn't seem to have come out in support of nurses. Um, they seem to be very silent. And if they say anything, it seems to be in support of the government. I've, and, and how does that work? Like if we're all yes men and we just say what the government, you know, uh, is doing a great job and I will pick, you know, it's all okay. It's okay. There's nothing to see here. We can manage. Then how on earth do the politicians know that we're not managing? before we, we're all saying yes. So I really appreciate what the union is doing in New South Wales, certainly. Um, and I think we need to look really carefully. People on the mainland ignored what was happening in Tasmania in 2010, 2011. And really it was what's happening now yeah. in New South Wales and Victoria and Queensland. And it's, it's gonna keep happening. The population continues to age. People are living longer by, by necessity, if they're living longer, there's going to be more demand for acute health services, even if everything else went right, but they're also living longer and we're able to keep fix more illnesses. Yeah. So the demand for health services becomes, it keeps growing and growing and growing. And unless we address that in some real meaningful way, you can throw as much money at acute health as you want. You're never going to fix it. Um, so we need to work out, you know, is the current system we're using working? Yeah. And we need but to have that conversation. And I think, you know, for those of us that have worked in hospitals at any point, we know we will use every single bed that's available and you get more beds and then you use more beds, right? So the solution, 
just keep building more beds. Like we've got yeah. to find a way to really reform health and primary care absolutely has to be front and centre, right? How do we start really talking about preventative healthcare so that we're actually easing pressure from our acute care services rather than just building more and more and not even filling them with the staff? That's exactly right. And if and you, and you can, and then also like if you're going to put in extra beds, that's great. Where are your staff coming from? Oh, well, we're going to, well, be, you know, Dan and Andrews, bless his heart, has just said, well, we'll make the program free. That's great. We're going to have more people doing the Bachelor of Nursing. How do we onboard them? Yeah. Right? So we've got no experienced staff left. We've got no, the grad pathway doesn't work in my humble opinion. Um, it certainly doesn't work for the number of staff we need to bring on. You're well aware as I'm well aware of how many of the, of the projections for nursing shortages by 2025. There's no way we can put that many people through a grad program. And yet we're still going, oh, we've got the grad program. Look, we've been certainly doing what we can here in New South Wales to try and beef up support services for grads. Um, I think this is going to be the first year of graduates that have done the entirety of their degree online. Um, and so the challenges that they're coming out to face when they get in the workplace are entirely different than any other generation before them. And we've so much better for this um, group of people. If they're the future of our profession, um, and frankly, they're the lifeline that we've got to really um, address the workforce shortages. We've got to do so much more. We, we do. Um, and that, you know, and the only way we're going to do that, I, again, I believe, is to sit down and have all stakeholders have a really frank conversation and just pretend the current system doesn't exist. Mm. And then go, you know, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but we do need to say, well, you know, let's, let's just step away from what we're doing at the moment and what else could we possibly do? And there are examples in histories we could look at. People have faced these sort of challenges before and they've done it. Um, but, and we need to look at what they did and, and we need to then work out, can we use those models now? We, should, we need more educators on board. We need to be training up now. Um, we need to be training up now the people that we're going to, who are going to support these grads. We need to be working out how can we support more grads? Who can we use? Where are they going to come from? Um, do we need more educators on board? Yes. Um, do we need to find some way of identifying senior nurses to actually do this for us? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just, but again, this doesn't seem that conversation happening. It's certainly not happening in the, in the public space. Definitely for us, not in the public space. I think we're doing what we can at, um, you know, the discussions between Ministry of Health and the unions. And we're really trying to work with the federal government as well, because really we need a, from our perspective, we need a coordinated response here. Um, particularly in New South Wales, as you've pointed out, I feel like we're the poor cousin these days. Um, so every time we see improvements in other states, it just um, increases the likelihood that we see more nurses and midwives leave to move into state. So we really want to push for a national kind of cohesive, coordinated response to how we address workforce shortages. Um, and so that's a lot of the work that we've been doing, which, you know, is um, kind of timely in relation to the job summit and all of that sort of thing. But, you know, it's slow, it's slow work and we need, we need solutions now. So um, I think it's pressure at all points, wherever we can, to be honest. So yeah, I I just, and that's important, keep out that pressure. Yeah, um, and, and we and we have to stop saying, and we've seen it this since the change in government. Oh, it's it's the ALP now. It's better than Morrison. <laughs> Dead horse would be better than Morrison. But um, <laughs> but you know that's not enough. It's not enough to say okay, and it's not enough to. Oops, sorry, I 
hope yep. that doesn't ruin it for you. Um, it's not enough to say that, um, you know, that the Andrews government, you know, and I do feel that the Andrews government gets a bit of a free ride at times because they're ALP. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we need to, we need, we need unions to stay as apolitical as possible sort of thing and to keep up the pressure on everybody, not just, not just one side, which I do feel happens a bit. And look, from our perspective, I think we're facing challenges like, you know, certainly um, nurses and midwives of our generations have never seen before. So we have to yeah. be brave and bold and think of new ideas and push in places we haven't pushed before and all the things have to be on the table, I think, to imagine what it can be like. Sorry. So I'm going to take you to um, back to kind of social media. I guess um, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on, you know, some of the TikTok trends and, you know, we're seeing lots of nurses and midwives kind of do similar things to what you're doing, but on different platforms, using their voices in new ways. What advice or kind of thoughts have you got about some of what is going on? Because um, it all feels very new and very of the time. Uh, everyone's talking about COVID or the, the workforce shortages. Um, is it good? And if it is, how do we give it longevity? I think it's good. I think um, my, I think 99% of it is good. I think there's 1% out there that's quite toxic and nasty and and breaks a lot of boundaries. And I think we have to rely on regulators to to police that. Mm -hmm. um, so in the social media space, you mean more regulation? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think we probably well not more regulation, but I guess the regulators need to keep up with the trends as well. Yeah. Um, right. I think it's, I don't think we need more regulations, but we just need the regulations enforced or education even better because I, I don't like this idea of enforcing regulations I don't I think we're all professionals I believe we all should be open to education so for instance if someone came to me and said hey Matt you've really crossed the boundary here would you mind you know this is a better way of doing it or you should you shouldn't do that I I would hope that I'd be open to that feedback and take it on board and adapt what I was doing yeah and I would hope that other people would do the same I think like TikTok is a great platform. I don't really know a lot about it. I've sort of fiddled with it and gone, yeah, no, nah, it's not for me. Um, <laughs> but I get that for other people who can dance and sing, it's great, you know? So if you can use your voice in that way and you can attract followers. And there's a there's a nurse doctor couple from um, America that do it so well. They just yeah. do some great TikTok and real stuff and, and I envy their talent. Um, <laughs> Um, so that's you know that's great, and I and I love the way they don't just talk about COVID. They talk about the life of being married to each other, as far as as their um, careers go. They talk about the challenges of being Chinese, Taiwanese, and Japanese, um, as far as um, you know race goes. In, in living in America, they talk about they talk about you know how much you know professions, and they talk about budgeting, and they talk about wealth, gaining wealth and stuff like that. And so it's a really broad thing they cover. And I really, as I said, they do it really well. Um, the ones with dance videos, I think they're great too, because if you, it's something that wards and units can band behind and they can decide to do a dance challenge. And if it takes your mind off for 10 minutes, power to you, you know, that's great. Um, I think that's really important too. But um, I like the platform of Facebook because it allows that two-way interaction. Mm -hmm. I I play around a bit with Instagram, um, but really it's just, you know, it's me posting photos and people enjoy that. That's great. But it's, no, it's not that two-way conversation. I do try and read every comment that people post, mm. be it positive or negative or whatever. So I, I do try and make time for that. I don't always achieve it, but, yeah, I do try. And so what do you see kind of social media 
and the role of social media being um, as we start to tackle some of those sort of challenges that we spoke about for our profession. Because obviously it is, you know, we're facing um, challenges like never before. And I think social media is going to have a space. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. On. I think um, I think for you unions, you've got to go where the audience is, yeah? And I have to go where the audience is. If we want to change people, if we want to change the world, big idea there. But if we want to change nursing, that's, what we're bit, about. that's good. <laughs> yeah. You've got to try. Like if you don't try, no one achieves anything. So if you're going to change things, then you've got to go where the audience is. And the audience is... Um, is on social media. And this is where I tell people, like, go and comment on the politicians' pages. When, when they post something on Facebook, on social media, go comment. Because they do, I can tell you from experience, they read it. Mm-mm. So I can remember graduating, the Health Minister of Tasmania at the time came up and congratulated me on my marks because I'd posted them on a different page around the time. Um, and then another one, you know, another occasion where it was quite clearly that I was talking, I was talking, to, him, uh, talking to the leader of the opposition at that time. And it was quite clearly that they had read what I was posting on social media on a regular basis. So, yeah, absolutely, they read what you post and they write. Or if they don't, a staff that does, they're watching for trends, as we all are, um, and so that they can work on that because they want to be re-elected. And how they're telling you how they're going to how popular they are is not is by looking at things like social media. Kevin Rudd was the first one. Kevin Rudd was obsessed by social media because it was brand new, and you know, constantly changed policy. And then we saw the ones that came after him, and they really have only just started to work out how to make it work for them. I, you know, as much as Morrison was hopeless, he did understand social media. He did understand how to make it work for him. Um, Trump is probably the best example of the world of a guy that understands how social media can work for them. So we need to use that tool. We need to use that tool to talk to nurses and communicate with them because that's with the space where they are. They're not going to our, they're not going to internet pages. They're not reading .org pages. They're going on Facebook, they're going on Twitter, they're going on, on, on TikTok, they're going on Instagram. So that's where we need to be if we want to communicate with them. We can't. And I think it's something we did really badly during COVID. We came out with these lofty messages um, and we, we didn't aim our communication. Isn't that the basis of good communication, to aim your communication at your intended demographic or target audience? Mm-hmm. So you need to, to, to speak in a language and where you, the people you want to speak to are going to hear you. That's like step one. Um, if we're not doing that, then we can't we can't get our message out there. So there's definitely a space for it. I think we should need to use it more. We need to understand it more. It's not perfect. It's a tool. It can be used for good and bad. Absolutely. There's plenty of cyberbullying and all the rest of it. Um, but, but it is a tool at the end of the day. And I suppose by us using it well or as best as we can, and I'm not perfect. Um, then we hopefully we encourage other people to do the same and hopefully we teach others. Well, thank you. Your contribution, I think, is incredibly unique uh, to the profession, uh, but it's one that's certainly making its mark. And so uh, I just, I feel really kind of motivated having spoken with you and hearing your insights today. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. No, thank you for having me. It was really good to talk to you too. And um, you know, I I hope that we can help someone else. I hope that someone someone sees my page and goes, well, I can do that better. Mm-hmm. And then they start their page and, and, and do it better. That, that would be, the ideal for me would be, you know, if there's 10 more people from this, you go, oh, geez, I could do that. And off they go and do it. Feels That's like great. throwing down a bit of a challenge there. 
No <laughs> challenges. No, no. Lift up, support others. Like, I want to see everyone succeed. Like, yeah, no, no challenges at all. I want to see people. I'd love to be at work. I'd love to be redundant. And, and this, I'd love to be redundant. I'd love to have someone to come along and do it better than me. Quite yeah. happy for that to happen. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't gotten to? No, I just, I guess, I, going back to the beginning of the interview and, and talking about mental health, I mean, it's, that's probably one of the, it's still sadly a taboo subject. It's still sadly something nurses don't. I come from a defence background and it was something there that wasn't spoken about. I really don't want nurses to go the same way. Um, our suicide rate is too high in nursing. Our, um, our mental illness rates are too high in nursing. We need to, we need to talk about, we need to, we need to name up when we're struggling. And, you know, we need to stop having these taboo subjects because if, if the subject's taboo and it's not talked about, then it doesn't get fixed. Yeah. So, you know, we need to, in nursing, we're supposed to have this no fault, no blame type safe space where you can talk about anything and yet we don't. And, we're, and you know, and we should have that at the very least around mental health, but certainly around all aspects of nursing. Talk about stuff, bring stuff up. Look, I couldn't agree more. And I feel like, you know, there's sort of, obviously, if we consider health and mental health as sort of that spectrum, right? We've got a bunch of nurses right now who are being completely gaslighted and told everything's fine. And then we've got the media and, you know, administrators saying, well, they're burning out, you know, they're burnt out, like it's their fault, which I think is really frustrating. And that's why we're seeing them leave, because they're putting in steps to control and manage their own health. And it's like we're blaming them for that. And so, like, where is the system responsibility for the fact that we're putting all of these incredible people through serious trauma day in and day out when they can't deliver care that's impacting their health? Like, it shouldn't be down to the individual to be resilient uh, and turn up and, you know, live with an unsatisfactory job every day and then it's their fault that they're burning out. It just baffles me. I feel like we wasted the two last two years in trying to deal with this. And now, I mean, it's getting to the point where really no one has any choice but to deal with it. Because if we don't deal with it, it's going to, we're going to end up, the States are always a good example of where we can go, right? And so if we look at what's happening in the USA now, we have agency nurses making tons of money yeah, to like go and work. bucks an hour or something, isn't it? Because there's no one else to work. And, I, and that's already... The case out of in rural Australia. In rural Australia, if you go out as agency, you're going to earn more than local nurses because that's that's what they have to offer to get you out there. Mm. Do we really want that to be the norm in our cities as well? Do we really want to be relying on agency staff, travel staff, because we just cannot staff wars? And then I don't understand why governments don't get it. That's going to cost them more. Yeah. Like delaying fixing it is just going to cost you more down the track. And yet we seem to just delay, delay, delay with it all. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, another thing I guess is, you know, I really appreciate anyone who speaks up and, 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 and strives for nurses, especially you guys, like you're doing a great job. And there's other people in New South Wales who are, and around Australia, who are speaking up for nurses who are just not for, there's just people who have just had enough and they're speaking up. There was um, another group organising food and pasta deliveries for wards and stuff like that. So, you know, I, there are people out there who do care. And really appreciate what nurses are doing, and we don't. We should not forget that because we tend to fixate a bit on the negative people. Like I know for me, I remember the people that were negative rather than the people that are positive when, during the day. And we need to remember that there are lots 
most, the majority of people who really appreciate what nurses are doing and going through. Um, yeah. And so I think if the more we publicise our story, the more support we'll get for us in this space. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And again, just thanks for what you're doing. I think it's really exciting and innovative and I look forward to seeing where it goes. Thank you very much. We'll be right back after a quick word about the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association New Island Program. Did you know the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association has a new online CPD portal? With over 200 free online CPD courses, across a wide range of nursing and midwifery topics, plus the ability to track your learning. It's definitely worth checking out. If you're a New South Wales NMA member, just log in to the member portal, Member Central, to access this program. And if you're not yet a member, make sure you join today. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt and I look forward to speaking with you again in a fortnight with more stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have an interesting story you'd like to share with us, please let us know by emailing us on the shift podcast at nswnma.asn.au. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that this land was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.